All right, we are uh, continuing in the Gospel of Luke. We've been in chapter one of Luke so far, and we're going to stay in chapter one this week as well. You know, um, I'm going to make a confession here, is that I enjoy musicals, okay? It's out. And uh, in musicals, you know, you see people, you see the tension kind of rising in the story, and then what always happens right as the tension is rising is that somebody just breaks into song, right? And so you have the explanation of the resolution or the tension or whatever it is sung. And, you know, kids like to sing, but oftentimes grown-ups, especially guys, we start to get really shy about it, and we don't like singing, or we don't like even things like people just bursting into song or whatever. So I'm going to ask you this morning to kind of put on child eyes, to put on uh, musical viewer eyes, and we're going to actually watch Mary burst into singing. She's going to get very excited about something and burst into song, and we're going to learn a lot, I think, from uh, that song today. So we're in Luke chapter 1, toward the end of it, starting in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose, and she went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold... When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby, that's John the Baptist, her baby, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, or sung, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in, my, in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we do uh, again confess our dependence upon you and upon your revealed word. We pray that you would speak through it as you have promised to do. Lord, let us uh, see the example of Mary. Teach us what it means to praise. And let us see, Lord, the promise that you have, the seed of this promise that you have planted here that will be fulfilled later on in your gospel and will be completely fulfilled at some point in the future. We look forward to that time, Lord. And so we pray, even as we open your word, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, word made flesh, that we might know you more fully. Let us see you more completely today, also through this passage, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to talk uh, this morning about praise, about what it means to praise. And that is a word that I think has been kind of confused in our culture. 
Uh, somebody said that we have uh, had this great confusion between work and play, right? We now uh, play at our work and work at our play. Well, you could throw worship and praise into that mix too and say we work at our uh, play and we play at our work, but we're also playing oftentimes at our worship. And we've confused then where praise, the direction that praise is supposed to move. Because, of course, we enjoy being praised. We like receiving praise, and oftentimes we think that the key to happiness is gaining more praise. Well, you hear the words of uh, Landon Donovan, soccer player, played on multiple United States national teams and in multiple World Cups. This is what he said fairly recently. People want us to live, breathe, eat, and die the sport. And every game, they want you to go out and do everything you can to make the fans feel good, make the coach feel successful, make the owners successful. And I was foolish enough to think that these people who were showing me so much love genuinely liked me. But after the 06 World Cup, when he did not have a very good tournament, people said, oh, you had a bad World Cup. We don't think you're that cool anymore. That for me was very eye-opening, an eye-opening experience, and it made me very sad. You could hear those kind of words from really any celebrity, any famous person, any athlete or celebrity. They're always going to tell you, A, the thing that I want most out of life is someone else's praise, and B, the times in my life when I feel the most down and empty is when I'm not, get, when I'm not getting it. This has actually kind of taken hold in our culture. A few years ago, uh, some researchers did some studies on a couple of college campuses, and they wanted to know, okay, college students these days, what's their greatest kind of motivation? What is the thing, the goals that they desire the most? And so they kind of set out different things in the survey, physical intimacy with the opposite sex, uh, drinking alcohol, eating lots of fried food, spending time with all of your friends. But none of those things actually compared to the two highest things on the list, which were getting good grades and getting compliments. The things that gave them kind of a shot of self-esteem, a jolt of self-esteem, those were the things they desired the most. We desire praise from people. We want it. We think in some way that that's going to lead to our ultimate happiness. But interestingly enough, that's done something as well. When we change the way that we think about receiving praise, it changes the way that we actually think about offering praise too. I've mentioned to you a book by Christian Smith before called Soul Searching, in which he has described uh, what is now called the millennial generation. He studied them when they were teens. Uh, as the, the religious view of the millennial generation is basically this, uh, therapeutic moralistic deism. You've heard me give those words before. Moralistic therapeutic deism. Basically the idea that God wants me to be good. That's the moralistic part. God wants me to be happy all the time. That's the therapeutic part. And God, for the most part, is kind of just checked out of this world. He's not really involved in my day-to-day -day life. That's the deism part. Well, there's something interesting that kind of comes out of that philosophy, and it's the way that we pray. And what he found was really interesting is that the majority of these kind of young adults actually spend a lot of time in prayer. In fact, 40% of the people he studied said they prayed daily. But the content of the prayers has changed. 
he would get these comments like, yeah, I pray a lot because whenever I'm down or whenever I need something, I just pray and that gets me through the day. Or whenever I pray, it makes me feel like I can go out and accomplish things. Or when I pray, I'm no longer struggling with those things I'm struggling with anymore. See, the prayers were filled with requests. Again, God wants me to be happy. But they were absent two very important things. There was almost never any confession, and there was almost never any praise. See, when, when our world actually revolves around us receiving praise as the way that we're going to find our ultimate happiness then it's going to affect the way that we offer praise. It's going to affect the way that we give praise. Here is the uh, beautiful but maybe surprising truth that is proclaimed in the Bible, is that offering praise actually leads to happiness. Thanksgiving, praise, those are the things actually that the Bible says leads to joy. Not when we receive it, but when we give it. We've got a wonderful example in Mary here of what it looks like to offer praise to the Lord. You know, sometimes we don't know what to do with Mary. Protestants, we're not sure what we should do with Mary, right? We, we, we don't want to worship her. We don't want to treat her improperly. So sometimes we just kind of forget about her. That's a mistake because she's really a wonderful example here for us of what's at the heart of our praise. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, really the heart of praise as displayed in Mary's Magnificat, is what it's normally called, the song that she sings of praise to God. Here's the first part. The very first thing and really the foundation of praise is that it's got to be about God. It's got to be all about God. I want you to just listen to me quote some of these verses in what Mary is saying in this song. Verse 49, God has done great things. Verse 49, again, God is holy. Verse 50, God is merciful. Verse 51, God is strong. Uh, Verse 52, you know, it's God doesn't work according to all of the world's rules. He's actually reversing things, right? He brings up the lowly and actually brings down the powerful. Verse 54, God is faithful. He fulfills his promises. All throughout, really woven throughout this song, Mary is continually talking about who God is. She wants to see him more clearly. She wants others around her to see him more clearly. She wants to describe who God is in his character and his action. And actually, it's describing who God is in his character and his action that changes our worship from duty into delight. One of my favorite movies is When Harry Met Sally. And if you've seen that, you know there's interspersed throughout the movie, there's these little snippets uh, of interviews with older couples, and they're all talking about kind of how they met. And probably my favorite one is this older Asian couple who clearly has immigrated from a country in which marriages were arranged. And the husband is actually talking about uh, when they were first married and that the marriage was arranged, he didn't even get to see his, his future bride. He didn't know her. He didn't know what she looked like. He didn't see her at all. She lived in a different village. And so he says, I snuck out of my village one night and I, and I went over and I kind of hid behind these bushes and I saw her washing clothes because I just wanted to get a glimpse of who she was. And then he saw that she was beautiful and he said, okay, good with me now. We're good to go. Now, we can discuss, you know, the, the role that physical beauty should play in the way that you choose your spouse, but the point is this, is that once he actually got to see her, 
it changed his motivation. It's the same for us. When we see who God is, even when we recount who God is, when we talk about his character in the way that we pray, in the way that we sing, when we recount his works, it actually changes our hearts. It changes our obedience from duty into delight. We get to actually fall in love with God who is, uh, who God is, and we want to follow him. We want to praise. You see how praise is related to joy there? Praise actually leads to greater joy. All right, second piece. Not only is, of course, first of all, praise about God and primarily about God, but it's actually also about us. Mary starts by praising God for who he is, but she also talks about what God has done for her. She talks about God's work on her behalf. She says, you've lifted up the humble and the lowly of estate. That's her. She is talking about herself there. It is good to recount daily what God has done for you. It is good to think through how God has cared for you, how God has changed you, even in the difficult times when God may be doing the hard work, like we said last week, of tearing away your idols from your heart. The painful things are still the ways that God is being gracious to you. But it's also fun to see how when she's recounting those things, she's doing it holistically. Her praise is personal and it's holistically personal. Here's what I mean by that, is that it's actually mental, emotional, and physical. Is that when she praises, there's all three of those things, all three of those responses going on. You know, we can jump on kind of to one of those things in different parts of the church. Some churches are really good at developing emotional response. And the people that stand up here are really perfect at being able to kind of pull emotions out of people. And the music is more sentimental and the preaching gets emotional. But oftentimes that can lead to people actually kind of becoming worship junkies like that. They're just looking for the next kind of emotional hit. And it's a law of diminishing returns, right? It's got to keep getting more and more. And so the music has to get more and more sentimental, and the preaching has to get kind of more hysterionic, and you've got to have more emotion because you're just looking for that kind of new emotional hit. And so you end up with this, um, you know, ten, uh, straw man, scarecrow from the Wizard of Oz, right, where it would just be a lot better if he had a brain because it feels like it's just empty. Of course, there's the other side of that too, which is pretty much where our tribe lies, the frozen chosen, Right? is that we're usually pretty good at content. We're usually pretty good at doctrine. We're usually pretty good at the mental stuff, but oftentimes the mental never seeps down into the heart. Oftentimes it stays up in our heads and it never gets anywhere. And so the deep, amazing truths about the gospel that should move us deeply don't move anything. They don't move us emotionally. They don't move us physically. We're just kind of stuck. We're more like the tin man, right? <laughs> Where we've got the brain, we just need the heart. That's not the way that Mary responds in praise, actually. She does so holistically. She does so with this deep content that we just went through about who God is. But she does it even, again, she bursts into song. You ever just burst into song singing about God's goodness and his praise? I kind of doubt it. I don't normally do that either. But Mary is fully emotionally engaged. She's physically engaged. She's mentally engaged. It's all there. It's holistic. 
We don't need tin man or scarecrow worship in the church. We actually need full, holistic praise. All right, here's a third thing, is that not only does praise start with God as its foundation, and it's also about us, but it's also about others. You see, actually, when uh, Elizabeth, when Mary arrives at Elizabeth's house, Elizabeth responds in praise. In fact, a lot of scholars would say it looks like she's singing too. So this, this whole scene is a musical, all right? Mary walks into the room. Elizabeth bursts out in praise. She's singing not in praise of what God has done for her, but what he is doing in and through Mary. It's important to just sit there for a second, praising God about what he's doing in others. It's an important piece of praise. And they're praising God about not only what he's doing in others, but what he is doing in the community and what he is doing even in time and space. See, when Mary actually begins this song as well, she starts with God, she ends up talking about herself and what God has done for her, but she transitions then to talking about what God is doing in the world and what God is doing for his people. When she says Israel, she means the people of God. When she says Abraham and his descendants, that's what she means. She means God's community, his people. And I want you to get this, pay attention here, because this tension is really important and really beautiful. She is praising God not just for what he has done, but for what he's going to do. She's talking about the birth of the Messiah who hasn't been born. And she's speaking about it in terms of concrete here and now kind of promise and fulfillment. See, for Mary, God promising and God fulfilling are the same thing because she actually knows his track record. She knows God's character and his action as one who is faithful. She knows that God does fulfill promises, so she believes that God will fulfill his promises. We live in a similar time to Mary. Now, we have the benefit of actually seeing Jesus' not only birth and life and death and resurrection, but we're still waiting, just like she was, for the, for the fulfillment of those promises. That deposit has been made. The down payment has been given in Jesus' resurrection. But it's not completely fulfilled yet. But our praise is the same as Mary's, is that when God promises, it's the same as God fulfilling. It's just as stable we can hold on to it just as fully. Now, let me remind you again, what's the thread kind of weaving through all of this? It's uh, praise and joy going hand in hand. All of this beautiful praise about God going hand in hand with people who are actually finding happiness and joy and fulfillment. You have this reunion of, uh, of, of cousins or of relatives of some sort. You have babies leaping in the womb. You have women breaking out into song. It's a beautiful scene. And the joy and the praise go hand in hand. Giving praise leads to happiness and joy. All right, how do we apply that? Let's talk about application just for a second. Well, I have one piece of application for you, and you're going to love it. Sing. <laughs> it's good for your heart. Singing is good for your heart and good for our community. We talk about this if you've been in our DNA class or you've been maybe in our uh, Introducing Hope class, you've heard me talk about some of our core values. And one of them is this, is that we want worship to be both expressive and formative. That means that we want our worship, our praise, 
to express what's in our heart. We want to respond to what God is doing, just like Mary is doing here. We want to respond to God's character. We want to respond to God's action. We want to respond to the good news of the gospel. And that should flow out of us from our hearts into our mouths and our bodies. But the reverse is also true, is that when we sing good words, when we say good things like our confessions of sin and faith, when we come to the table, when we open God's word, it actually works the opposite way too is that what we put on our lips feeds our hearts. It forms us. When we describe and ascribe to God who He is, when we give Him the praise that He is due, it actually changes our hearts. When we sing, it shapes us. You have undoubtedly seen this if you've ever been to a sporting event, particularly a college sporting event, and especially a college football game, where you stand with sometimes 100,000 other people, and you're singing a fight song or a school song, and everybody is singing it together, right? And so, you singing that not only is shaping you and your identity as part of this group, but it's shaping you together. If you're singing the eyes of Texas, or any other lesser song, it's shaping you. It does that in worship as well. When we come and we sing of God's goodness, of His mercy, of His grace, of His holiness, of His might, of His strength, of His compassion, of His justice, of His care, it shapes our hearts and it shapes our community. I read this fascinating story the other day uh, about World War II and uh, the, the piano company Steinway & Sons. Okay, Steinway & Sons, uh, most famous piano company in the United States, maybe one of the most famous in the world. And through World War II, like every other manufacturing company, uh, they were forced to actually manufacture things other than pianos in order to help with the war effort. But they also helped with the war effort with pianos. Steinway had uh, manufactured a piano that was about 40 inches wide. It only weighed about 450 pounds, so it could be carried easily by four people, and it could be packed into a crate and parachuted in to soldiers. And during World War II, they dropped about 2,500 pianos on three different continents to American soldiers. Isn't that crazy? Not guns, not food, pianos. The reason they dropped those pianos to people was because they understood singing is good for your heart. It shapes you. It shapes you together as a community. They knew that the singing together, the rejoicing, even in the midst of the struggle, they're in the middle of a war, was actually beneficial for them. You've heard me recount Mac Brown's phrase when he was the head coach of the University of Texas, come early, be loud, stay late. I'm totally stealing it from Mac Brown, and this is now our phrase, come early, be loud, stay late. That's what we want to really adopt as our church. Come early and get ready to praise. Get your heart ready. Uh, meet other people who are coming in and welcome them in. And then during worship, go ahead and sing loudly. Like, I want to hear you up here. If you have a terrible voice, I want to hear your terrible voice up here. And I want everyone who's in front of you to also hear that terrible voice. Because singing together is good for our hearts, no matter how good your voice is. And then stay late. 
and celebrate and praise together. Enjoy being shaped as a community together. Let me close with just this last thing. Uh, This week, I had the wonderful privilege of participating in the funeral for a remarkable woman. Uh, Many of you were there. Many of you were some of those probably 75 to 100 people who had to stand because it was so packed that there were no more seats. And one of the consistent themes about Margaret Ann Bird, one of the consistent things that was said was the beautiful singing voice that she had. I never got to hear it. I only knew her for the last three years. But everybody that had known her for many years said over and over, what a gorgeous voice she had. That voice was taken from her by the brokenness of this world. As she became weaker, her voice became weaker. But the beautiful truth is that that voice has been given back. She is singing clearly and strong and wonderfully because Jesus, her Savior, has given her the voice to sing. Friends, if you belong to Jesus, He has given you a new voice. And the Holy Spirit is continually tuning your heart to sing the song that He has given you. He has replaced the song that you used to sing with the song of His grace. That is the song that our hearts long for. If that song is just kind of whispering in your ear right now, you're not sure what to do with it, come find me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about it. But if you know that song, if Jesus has given it to you, then join in and sing. It's good for your heart. Let us praise the Lord together. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the words on Mary's lips. They teach us, Lord, what the words on our lips can, should be. We're thankful for what she proclaims, most of all, that you are a God who is faithful, who is merciful, who is just and holy, and who does something about the brokenness of this world. Lord, you have acted. You have acted decisively. You have changed the course of things. You have brought yourself to come and be one of us, to take on our flesh, that you might also take up our brokenness, that you might defeat death forever and rise to new life so that we might have it. Lord, that is a song worth singing. Will you put it in our hearts and our mouths today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.